Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. And I'm John Lacombe. Uh, Scuzz was eaten by the Halloween goblin tonight um, and is up to his ears in candy. So uh, he's going to be off this week. We'll uh, catch up with him next week. But uh, I mean, it's not like he missed much from from last week as far as the the football goes. Um, yeah, would you want to talk about? Yeah, this? I mean, I don't. <laughs> not really. I mean, you know, when you make the worst offense in the country look good, then I, th- I think we all know where things are. I mean, it it was thirty three to seven and a garbage time touchdown. Yeah, even thirty three to thirteen doesn't make it look any better, but. It was just a, a, a gut punch on every level, and you know I, I don't want to spend too much time breaking it down because at the end of the day, like we, we know what's happening here. The defense was awful. Right. The offense was you know running up against an amazing defense in Iowa, and you know we're kind of just running down the stretch to the end here. Ohio State's coming in this weekend. We all know that's going to be a giant shit show. So let right. let's not spend a whole lot of time talking about the game. Right. Again, it's like the the overall narratives are what matter. We are going to get to those in a big way in a second. I mean, in in the interest of paying the least attention to to what actually happened on the field. I mean, <clears throat> from an off- offensive perspective, honestly, I wouldn't read too much into it one way or another. Again, I think we all feel that Brendan Sullivan is the choice and is the guy right now. All things being equal, I mean, he had that one turnover at the end of the first half. I mean, I don't think really anyone's hanging that on him. Aside from that, he did what he could. I think all of us continue to have this feeling, and nothing in this game took away that, in hindsight, we wish that we'd seen him earlier, and we wished we'd seen him earlier in the season when his presence could have turned a couple of losses into wins. And that's that's the big thing about this. What do you want in this game? I mean, he's still very green in his college career and Iowa legit may have the best defense in the country. So what was going to happen there? I think the massive gut punch for all of us was just that, that, yeah, like Sam said, it's the 131st offense and they scored on every possession in the first half until they took a knee on their final possession to run out the clock and end the, end the first half effectively. Every other possession, they scored points. In a couple of those, they got right down to the goal line and then blew it and settled for field goals. So, yeah, it's it's every bit as bad as you remember from a couple of days ago, and we have, have no way to soften that for you. And, you know, the, uh, the giant nut in the room uh, is Ohio State coming to Evanston this weekend. Um, you know, number two team in the country, you know, the first college football playoff rankings are coming out on Tuesday night. They're going to be in there. And like it, it, everything is going to come down to the Michigan Ohio state game at the end of the year, you know, see who goes to the big 10 championship and, you know, will the loser potentially still make it into the playoff? We shall see. But, uh, I don't think anyone is under any illusions of any sort of upset this weekend. It's just, it's not going to happen. This this game, honestly, I believe someone in Vegas looked at the person next to him and said, hold my beer. I'm going to put the opening line at 30.5 just so we can watch what it does. And that line sprinted to 38.5 on Sunday. And I wouldn't rule it out hitting 40. And, you know, 
in a game like that, you know, what can you do? I mean, you're looking for individual development. You're looking for something out of Sullivan, you know. Um, but but there's again not like Sim said. You can't. There's not much sugarcoating it. The, the, you know, the the monster is rolling into town. Ohio State's everything you believe that they are. They're going to be close to forty point favorites. That's for good reason. And um, you know. We're gonna hope for some good weather and some some nice tailgates and some some good camaraderie and friendship on Saturday. Yeah, er, early weather reports, you know, called for rain. So super, you know, super there, awesome. There, there's that too. Awesome. Yeah, pour it on, pour, pour pour it on. Just just dive right in. Thanks. Why why not? Pretty Pile much. it right on the top. So in, instead of going deep into this, uh, we wanted to have someone on uh, to kind of talk about. Ohio State talk about you know dealing with stubborn coaches in uh, in the press room. Um, you know someone who had some experience uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, tr- uh, truthfully, coming out of Iowa and coming in to Ohio State, there really was only one person we could bring on. There was the the absolute perfect person. Uh, yeah, Doug Lamerys of. Uh, Cleveland.com, the Buckeye Talk podcast, and the College Football Survivor Show uh, is going to be joining us here in just a sec. Um, and he was the one in the room uh, with you know, asking Kirk Ferentz uh, th- those questions that we were talking about last week about um, you know Brian Ferentz and you know it, should he still be there as offensive coordinator. So you know that got a little testy. That that conversation got a little heated. Uh, so we definitely wanted to have him on. Well, we are thrilled to be joined today by Doug Lamerice, uh of the College Football Survivor Show, the Buckeye Talk podcast, Cleveland.com, uh, covering Ohio State. Um, Doug, you were right in the middle of uh, a lot of stories uh, last week you know, with the press conference with Kirk Ferentz in Iowa, and uh, we'd love to kind of get your thoughts on kind of what your side of the story was. Uh, from that press conference and and go from there. Yeah, so I, I see what you guys are looking for here. Just get that guy who was a jerk to Kirk Ferentz on and, and let's grill him. <laughs> I see what you guys are setting me up for. That's 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 right. Look, we're this is where we are in this in our season. This is this is the place Northwestern and the Westlot Pirates have gotten to. Right. Let's let's get the guy who got into it with Kirk Ferentz and have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> like we mentioned the the whole Kirk Ferentz situation and we were kind of kind of joking from your perspective, you know, you know, anything interesting happened in the last couple of weeks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's weird. I mean, it's it's just odd, you know, it's like that's never the intention to sort of become part of the story. Um, and it, it's I do think it's a, it's been an interesting evolution. And I've talked about this several times that. News conferences themselves have become sort of like events when to me, a news conference really is like sausage making and you're there to gather information for the thing that you actually want to do, which is write about or talk about the game with context and in a nuanced way. But now everybody watches the news conference and then it's like, well, the news conference becomes the story and and the news conference really isn't the story, right? You're just there. You're trying to have conversations with people. But I understand that's where um, things have gone. But I always say, you know, sausage making can get ugly sometimes, but you have to be willing in a news conference to do sort of whatever you need to do to get people to talk about the subject you want to talk about, whether that's 
weird questions or silly questions or tough questions. It's part of the process. And it's just a little odd in the modern era that the process is so public. Not that I'm trying to hide anything, but it gets clunky in there sometimes, man. It just does. It's not a perfect system in trying to gather the information. And the result is sometimes, you know, the process of gathering the information almost becomes as much of the story of than the story you're trying to get the information for. And it, it's so interesting, um, you know, coming from, you know, you're covering Ohio State in a bunch of different ways. And for us taking a look at Northwestern, you know, it, it's like polar opposites because, you know, you, you've got also you know, you've got so many people covering Ohio State and like nobody covering Northwestern. So when we see a, a conversation like you had with Kirk Ferentz, um, you know, kind of in, in a situation where a bit, bit of uh animosity or not animosity i'd say but uh you know te tenseness in the room um you know how, how do you go about asking tough questions of guys who you know have a a predilection for giving tough answers oh yeah no i just don't care i mean i'm too old <laughs> but but i understand i mean i you know i've been doing this for 28 years so i as a as a young journalist, you know, I was really nervous about stuff. And I was very much not somebody who who would be comfortable in a situation like that. But over time, you know, like I say, you don't realize that that you're smart. You just realize that everybody's as dumb as you are. And so why <laughs> be afraid? Right. But but also, I feel like when you're on the side of this doesn't seem right. And the thing that always sort of gets my hackles up is when I feel like there's anybody in a position of power who is not doing what's best for the team, the program, the franchise, the fans, like if they're putting themselves ahead of, of ahead of the other people, that to me is like, you know, indefensible. And then we have to talk about that. And the other thing is, you know, every, you know, I've been making smarky, snarky comments on Twitter about Brian Ferentz and how bad their offense was. So if I'm going to do that, then when the guy, when Kirk Ferentz is like in the place where I live, then I, I have to take it to him. I can't just hide behind Twitter and be snarky. So I learned that a long time ago too. It's like, if you're going to criticize somebody and you have a chance to talk to them, you have to, you have to do it to their face. So they have a chance to respond. That's the whole point of having a press pass. So, well, yeah, you know, that's like it, to me, it wasn't like, it's like, I owed it to Kirk Ferentz to confront him. Cause I think what he's doing is wrong and I was going to criticize him for it. So I have to give him the chance to talk about that before I write about it. Sure. I think that's, you know, you talked about that and then you talked about, it's funny you mentioned when you were younger, right? And the, when you were just starting out the way you would have approached it and et cetera. And I think some of those things get at some of the elephants in the room here, which is, and this goes to what Sam was saying vis-a-vis -vis the Northwestern piece of it, which we want to get to, but <clears throat> it's not just the fact that, that I think, you know, your question, and like you said, you made comments and you wanted to bring it to, to Ferentz, but there's the other piece of it where the Iowa media, for whatever reason, has been kind of hesitant to go to some of these places. And I think that's the the other piece of it where there are these environments. And like you said, I mean, this is the, like you said, the sausage part of it and the, the, the kind of the weird part of it is that they're, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's relationships or whether it's within the bubble of a certain team in a certain place, the way things are used to be done, that then suddenly, I don't know, for like a guy like Ferentz, it's jarring 
to kind of come in and have and then go into Columbus and have you be like, look, like the way we do things is this and this is the way we're going to go at this. And that's where, again, we were kind of talking about this piece from from us and, and curious of how you kind of look at it with someone like Pat Fitzgerald, because in in the world we're in, in a in a Pat Fitzgerald press conference standard, there's Louis Vacare from Wildcat Report, who, you know, he's been around for a long time. He's been covering Northwestern, but that's Rivals is a recruiting focused site, and that's who he's representing. And then just student journalists. And I'm curious how you feel, you know, like what was your perception of that Iowa bubble you were sort of piercing? And then, you know, related kind of your perception of, of the Northwestern situation. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do, I do think the Iowa guys have done a good job and they, they had had a press conference with Brian Ferentz two weeks earlier. I know Scott Docterman from the athletic asked Brian Ferentz if he'd thought about resigning, you know, they, they had asked um, Kirk Ferentz those questions. It wasn't the first time he got those questions. Some people even said one of the reasons he got a little upset was he felt like he'd answered some of them before. And here I was asking him again. Um, but you know, and I am like, I'm, I'm a columnist, I'm a podcast host. I'm not a beat writer. I, I clearly dab. I mean, I don't dabble. I give my opinion on things 24 hours a day. So when you're a beat writer and you're covering the ins and outs of a single team, that's, that is a different position. So I think that's a reality. Um, and I do think, you know, a lot of the conversations you wind up having in journalism is the, the shrinking of of journalism in general. And, you know, are there as many columnists around and people who can do those kind of things? No, but also, you know, I do think there's a difference between, um, Iowa and Columbus. I, I, I do think that. And, you know, I, I covered a pro beat in Philadelphia for four years when I was a young journalist that shaped me in some ways. Um, so that, that matters, but I, I do, it's just hard you have to – I don't want to say you have to earn the right because you don't. Anybody with a press pass who is responsible and stands behind their reporting and is professional about it, doesn't matter if you're 16 or 66, you, are, you deserve the right to go in a news conference and ask anybody anything you think is appropriate. But I can't pretend that when I was 24 – or and when I'm 49, that it's the exact same thing. For those student journalists, it's it's just a, it's a different world. I mean, it is. Everybody gets better as you get older. That's why there's not a lot of head football coaches who are 21, right? You grow into it. So that's a real thing. And everybody, we're all kind of doing the same thing. But you're beholden to your bosses. You're beholden to your audience. That means your job description is nuanced and is a little bit different. So I understand the idea that um, maybe there aren't people in the position I'm in where I have the freedom and the experience to kind of just do what I want to do. And, you know, if Teddy Greenstein was still at the Chicago Tribune and back in the day, Adam Rittenberg right. started off covering Northwestern, I think, for the Daily Herald. And now is one of the best college football writers in the country at ESPN and Sun Times used to have somebody there. If there were people like that in Northwestern news conferences right now, I think it'd be different. But those outlets have peeled off Northwestern coverage. And the result is the result. And I don't think that, you know, that it's the responsibility of anybody in the room at Northwestern to necessarily do the same thing. And I just want to double check as a point of information. Has Fitz hired one of his kids to run the offense or defense? <laughs> no, no. no. Okay. But then it's also different. That's also different. Because it's just I, I wasn't asking Kirk Francis questions because they were bad because everybody's bad. Sometimes everybody loses. 
it's because I think what he's doing is wrong. And that's employing well, unqualified kids. So I do think I've had a couple of people ask me about the Northwestern thing. And it's like, it's not just about losing. It's about exerting your power in a way that's not right and is harmful to the program. And so I don't, from the outside, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that like Fitz is at a point like that. Well, so <laughs> it's funny. First of all, to, to one of the, your first point that you made earlier, the, I think a lot of young people today, I, I don't know the extent to which everyone's aware of the sports reporters, but I mean, I think of when we were in school right before it, it's like a TV show of a bunch of c- cigar smoking right kings of journalism and those are all chicago guys like every one of them you know and like it's like if if literally one guy like that was in the room it would be different but i think that's so to to get at what you were just saying the the line between the two that northwestern fans would draw would probably be related to jim o'neill our defensive coordinator and i would say there is a pretty wide perception within Northwestern fandom that no, that is not a blood relation, but these are two guys who are long-term friends and that that friendship led Pat Fitzgerald to hire someone who based on his NFL resume did not have qualifications for the job. So like that's, that's the connection Northwestern fans would draw, but I'm curious what you think. So given everything you said and given that, yes, those people, there is no Adam Rittenberg in the room. There is no Teddy Greenstein in the room right now. What do you think the effect on that is for a football coach? Like for for a football coach or or a program, whether it be Northwestern or whether it be anybody. Like how do you like how do you see that as as impacting a football coach versus whatever say a Ryan Day has to face? Yeah, I mean I think it maybe you don't have to be you don't have to explain yourself as much. And I don't know it's not that the media makes you change your mind, but it brings issues to the forefront that you can't ignore. And I do just think, you know, these million dollar coaches need to be held accountable. And so does that change anything? I don't know, but they do. You, you, I think the fan base is owed that, that this is not going well. Explain yourself. Doesn't mean necessarily that, Everyone deserves to be fired. It doesn't mean that you are a terrible person. It means that you are hired to do a job, and right now you're not doing it very well. Why? What can you do better? Why haven't you done it better? How are you holding, as a head coach, how are you holding a people to account? All those kinds of things. And I do think to just make somebody answer that publicly is important. And I also think then when when the the people in charge of that coach, the, the athletic director and the president, the board of trustees, They need to see that person held to account in a public setting. And it's just healthy. Like it shouldn't be negative. It should be healthy. It should spark healthy conversations um, involving everybody in and around the program. And so I don't want to make this into like a journalism lecture because I just did give a journalism lecture to some students the other week. But I always say like you can't put it on the fans. I think to go into a news conference and say, hey, the fans are thinking this is a cop out. You are the representative of the fans, but I think as a journalist, to listen to what the fans are saying and then bring a version of their concerns to the coach in a public saying and say, not Twitter says this, not fans are complaining about this, but just the subject. Pat, the defense has not been up to Northwestern standard the past two years under Jim O'Neill. 
how are you holding him accountable? Is this defense good enough in your mind? You know, like those kind of questions and three or four in a row. I mean, the defense is bad. He knows it. So he should have to talk about it. And so I'm not I'm not calling on anybody in that room, but um, there's a way to do that that doesn't even get to be confrontational. But I always feel like the thing that we have is we have the access. You can't you can't fit 30,000 fans in a press conference. So they pick us to represent them. So if they're talking about it, then you should you on behalf of them, you should make the people in charge talk about it. And there definitely is a way, even for people who don't want to be confrontational, to ask Pat Fitzgerald questions about that. And and what's what's so interesting, and you know, when you mentioned that, and it really leads me to, you know, one thing Fitz says in pretty much every single press conference, and like it, it's almost rote at this point. It's you know, this starts and ends with me. I you know I I have to take responsibility, and I have yet to see anyone say, "Okay, how are you doing that?" Like I yeah. I have not seen like no one has has given that follow up question, and I wonder, you know, because they don't there isn't the the Teddy Greenstein or the Adam Rittenberg in the room anymore, and you've got you know the students who are you know pretty much primarily the the press corps for Northwestern don't necessarily want to you know anger. I don't know if anger is the right word, but like to get on the, the wrong side of, of the coaching staff in the athletic department, you know, they're trying to get as much as they possibly can. And they're worried that they might get shut out. Yeah. The thing you learn eventually is that like the best way to develop a relationship with somebody is to do your job. Well, be tough on them. Maybe you guys have a fight because of it. And then you work through it when you come out the other side, it's like when you break your bone, right? Sometimes it heals back stronger. Um, Pat Fitzgerald knows the defense stinks. And so like the idea, you know, again, I'm not calling anybody out in that room. It's really difficult. It's really difficult sure. to, to figure that out, but it is a hundred percent absolute fair game. And it, and it, it's just factual. And I do think facts help Pat, when this defense is at its best, when you guys made the big 10 championship game, you were ranked in the top 50 in defenses nationally. Now, the past two years since Jim O'Neill has arrived, this defense is ranked 110th or lower. And start asking questions based on that. I'm making up those stats, right? But you find the stats that you're you're close. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like, what do you, um, you know, would you say that's acceptable for Northwestern? No, I don't think that's acceptable. Well, what what will you do about it? Because this is the second year that this has been the case. Right. Why do you why has it happened? That kind of thing. I mean, it, it opens up a conversation. It certainly opens up a conversation. And that's like I really. So we have two other beat writers that cover Ohio State. They take care of all the other Ohio State stuff. So if I don't go to the Ohio State News Conference, we're not missing out on Buckeyes coverage. This is going to be a blowout. I almost the way you guys are talking, I almost would go to the North, Northwestern post game and do it. But I don't want to be like the Grim Reaper. I don't want to like develop <laughs> of like, this guy. Here comes this jerk from Columbus. But I don't know. It, it probably. And again, I can't I can't convey how different I think this is. I mean, and I understand like Urban Meyer had his the best man from his wedding. He hired him as a linebackers coach a couple of years ago. He was an NFL guy. Terrible hire. Stunk for two years. I talked about it constantly. His last bowl game, I had a conf- I, not a confrontation. I had an interview with the coach, and I said, I don't think you're the right fit for this job. I think you're doing a bad job. And I wrote a column with his quotes as I told him, I think he's doing a bad job. 
it was the last game he ever coached at Ohio State. He left. And I heard afterward that he read the story and he said I was right. So, like, your yeah. kid's worse. Your kid is worse. Brian yeah. Sure. No, no. I, I don't think we're but, trying to no. draw parallels yeah, but, between oh, that. Yeah. yeah. still bad. But your friend is still bad. Your friend who's doing a bad job is still bad. So I've called that out, too. So this also should be called out. And I don't right. Jim O'Neill can't be back next year, right? Like, is that where everybody is? I mean, th- I there's, mean, there's no way. But, I mean, you know. the Northwestern, the standard Northwestern fan base is that it should have happened weeks ago. Um, that's that's where we are. Um, the it's but to to your point, I mean, this idea of like you know apples and rocket ships that is <laughs> north Northwestern, like what you're saying, like versus the Kirk Ferentz situation, or or like you said, like a situation at Urban Meyer. That is, you know, the, another piece of it, that whatever a situation is at Northwestern, the environment in which it exists is so different than, let's say, in Ohio State. And I think one of the ways we were interested from that respect, I mean, you mentioned that Cleveland.com has alone has three Buckeye beat writers and that one of them is going to be at any given game. Can you just for the Northwestern fan who maybe is like the only thing, the only thing I know is this Cricket's Room with Wildcat Report and a couple student reporters. Can you just illustrate for us what is a typical Ohio State press conference like? Who is there? So we've gone over this. I actually did a podcast last year where I did like a two-part podcast. It was four hours long total where I had like the people who cover the team from all the outlets on. And I think there's probably 12 to 14 outlets that cover Ohio State full-time. And that is that's from the Columbus Dispatch and Cleveland.com is sort of, for lack of a better word, mainstream media to the 247 site, the rival site, the scout site locally, multiple independent digital outlets, a bunch of TV stations. And like, I mean, a typical like Ohio State news conference, like you can't it's hard to get a question in. like we we Orion Day on a Tuesday. There is. Probably like 20. 25 to 30 people who get called on and maybe other people fighting for more. So, and every outlet has multiple people who do it. So like we, you know, Cleveland.com has three people who live in Columbus full time. We live here. We don't drive down for stuff. The three of us live here for this. Plus the dispatch has three people. Plus all the other sites um, have multiple people. And like, there's like a new site every year that pops up. The market is completely saturated, but yet there's still room for growth. So it's bonkers. We think it's maybe the best, not best, maybe the best. We think it's maybe the biggest beat in America because we've gone through that, like the New York Yankees and like that kind of stuff. But we, we think it might be because it's just wow. what about what about specifically podcasts? I mean, like Buckeye Talk, what's what's your competition for ears out there in the potosphere? Yeah, we're the only one. We crushed everybody and they all quit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I like because there's like a lot of podcasts that are done by like people who don't have press passes and don't come to the news conference and do it from like kind of a fan perspective. And a lot of those are really good. And then every outlet has their own podcast, too. So I think we're the only we're the only people that go five days a week with like an hour long podcast or more all five of those days of the week. So we've leaned in harder than anybody. But. There's probably 20 Ohio State football podcasts that you could find in a given week. My my wife asks me every now and then, why don't you guys have a media pass? And I, I say, 
I'd get it and then I'd have it taken away from me within like a week or two. I would I would just you put me in that room, I'm gonna blow it immediately. I'm gonna say something I shouldn't have said. Because you'd be a jackhole or you would just ask hard questions that need to be asked. Well, fair. Fair. No, I know. It's it's true. I think it's partially as I suppose the the issue with us would be not overcorrecting. No, it's 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 a fair question. But I mean it is. It's that weird that weird situation that we are in right now where again, to your point, you said it before, like the people we have in the room do great work. And I mean, and you know, there are a bunch of young guys in there, young guys and girls, student journalists who are just so talented. I mean, and they're just, but I mean, you know, they're like 19 or 20 and they've got like a test due the next day. Like, I'm, I mean, it's just, it's just a totally different environment. Should we give, I suppose, I, from, from your audience, anyone who's come in, it, this is just for comedy. But since we are a Northwestern football podcast, we probably should actually talk a little bit about the football portion of this. <laughs> I've been I've been to a Northwestern football game already this year, so I am I am prepared to comment uh, with with intelligence. I hope which uh, which, 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 game? which game was that? Uh, the Duke game. Oh boy. <laughs> there was there wasn't going to be a good answer, Sam. <laughs> no, no, that's that's true. Um, I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, from Ohio State's perspective, I mean, this team is incredible. And, you know, we I, we all know what's going to happen this Saturday. And, like, there's just no bones about it. But can you compare this Ohio State team, and even more specifically, like a C.J. Stroud, to previous juggernaut Ohio State teams as well, is C.J. Stroud as good as he as good as everyone is making him out to be, or is it because he's surrounded by such great talent that kind of makes him maybe a little bit better than he might actually be? So he's not a great athlete, I don't think. He doesn't scramble much. Um, I think his arm is very good, but not it's not a rocket. But he is a really super intelligent. Uh, diagnose, process, deliver accurately kind of quarterback. And so he is different from Justin Fields. We feel almost like it's like the sort of like the evolution of the quarterbacks under Ryan Day. You know, we've had discussions of this. Is if, uh, is this almost like Ryan Day's perfect quarterback? Because Justin Fields, as people in Chicago are just starting to find out now that they're using him correctly, is a, a tremendously talented, I think, franchise quarterback. And I thought that I thought he was going to be the number two pick in the draft after Trevor Lawrence. And I'm, I think the Jets maybe are regretting that. But he is just a very different quarterback than C.J. Stroud. They both throw the deep ball well. But C.J. is is more sort of a through every progression and I think is maybe a little more accurate than Justin, although Justin can make every throw. But he's not certainly C.J. Stroud is not going to run anything like Justin Fields. But he does have a great receiving core. But he's the engine. I mean, he does make it go. And... I think sometimes he can almost make it look easy when it's not easy because he's so smart and he makes the right decision almost all the time. And I think he diagnoses stuff pre-snap that he, he sort of, I think, eliminates problems before they happen. But he, he is the real deal. And yes, the receivers make him look good, but he also helps the receivers look good in return. Gotcha. There. I mean, this is, I noticed on one of your, I think, is it your most recent pod for Buckeye talk you were specifically talking about the run game and I think our I think one of our perspectives looking in on this is so there are a list of teams where Northwestern specifically has just been 
an absolute mess in run defense, and that's despite the fact that we haven't played several of the real, true heavy hitter run teams in the conference. And I think a, a lot of maybe casual fans or even more serious college football fans, but just focus on the Stroud piece of it. Whereas, I mean, you guys are sitting on an absolutely dominant running game. And I wonder if you can kind of take through, take us through the back piece of it, but maybe the O-line piece of it too. Well, it hasn't been dominant the last two weeks. They've had trouble against Iowa and Penn State getting it going. And they've, they've, it's been a two-headed monster at running back. Trevion Henderson, second-year guy, five-star recruit. And Mayan Williams, who was a late flip in the class before, was an Iowa State recruit that they got uh, to flip late in the process. And they've been sharing it. They've both been hurt. Mayan Williams hurt his hand last week, and I would guess probably won't play on Saturday, which means it'll be on Travion Henderson. And he has not had a great year. Um, the offensive line is good. There's five-star dudes all over the place. You know, I, I think Paris Johnson Jr., the left tackle, may wind up competing with Peter Skaronsky to be the first tackle off the board in the NFL draft in 2023. Uh, their, left, their left guard, Donovan Jackson's a five-star as well. Like, you know, their right tackle, Dewan Jones, is going to be a high draft pick also. But they have not been great in the run game. And, you know, we were trying to diagnose it. It's a little bit of play callings, a little bit of guys getting blown up. It's a little bit of backs not hitting the hole. It's kind of a combination of things. And so, like, I'm just ready for them to give up and throw it 70 times a game. Because why not? They're really good at that. But they've run into a couple defenses, I think, that it's like, well, maybe should you try to establish the run? And it's like, they throw it better than anybody. Just throw it. Like, just stop messing around. Just throw it all the time. And, like, I'm half joking, but I'm half not joking. But we are, it's, it remains the thing that Ohio State fans are kind of wondering about because the debate sort of right now is can you win a national championship at the run game? is is only average and it's it's been probably below average the last two weeks well i i don't think this week is gonna you know be a, yeah i mean <laughs> yeah are you looking for a cure for what ails you yeah, pretty yeah. much <laughs> yeah it, it, it's not gonna if people are wondering how it's how the running game is gonna hold up against you know the top caliber opponents don't look at this week's tape because our run defense is god-awful so, yeah. I mean, yes, uh, Ohio State should be able to just run it up and down the field at will. What is, uh, I'm curious if we're set, we were all joking because the line inexplicably opened at 30 and a half and then what, and then ran eight points up to 38 and a half over the course of Sunday. I'm curious what your, what your opinion is from, you know, from a gambling perspective, surely you must look at a bunch of titanic lines over the course of an Ohio State season. What's typical of the Buckeyes when they have these absolute monster spreads in front of them? Yeah, I mean, you just wind up trying to get in Ryan Day's head about when he's going to put in the backups. Right. I and mean, that's really what you're betting on. It's like, do they take out CJ? I mean, he lets the starting offense play through three quarters. So... It's it's more like if in a, in a huge huge blowout, maybe late in the third quarter the starters will come out. But it's not like C.J. Stroud's not going to play after halftime. He's definitely going to get at least two series in the second half. And then you start asking, you know, when will they put in the backup defense? You know, they've when they they dominated Wisconsin, but Braylon Allen had like a seventy yard touchdown run against the twos in that game. So you just end up playing this game with yourself of like, don't bet it because. Ohio State, I would imagine at some point, 
will be covering, but will they keep it? Is there a backdoor cover here because they put in backup guys? So, you know, I always call them boring good. Just because a team is is super talented doesn't mean they're super exciting every week because 40-point blowouts. Sometimes, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. does crazy stuff, so that's exciting. But they they play, I don't know, six to nine of these games every year. This is just the reality of Ohio State football in the Big Ten, which certainly hasn't proved, I think, in the last 10 years. But it still remains, you know, still got Rutgers. You still got Indiana in the East. You still right, got speak, speak for yourself. We're out in Big Ten West country out here. I don't <laughs> Well, it's not for long, baby. Wait till there's no divisions. And then everybody's one big happy family. And we'll everyone will get to figure out how they do against each other starting in 24. So it, we yeah. two days ago, we literally had the, oh, my God. And UCLA and USC are coming in in a couple of years. Yeah. We're everyone right. in Northwestern. Yeah. The, the the Lincoln rivalry, Pat Fitzgerald, Pat Fitzgerald Lincoln Riley rivalry is just gonna set. <laughs> oh yeah. The Chicago area. <laughs> uh, but before we let you go, I I did want to ask. You know, we are so kind of insulated in the northwestern of it all. What is you know a realistic look from at Northwestern from the outside? Like what what do people in Columbus think about Northwestern? Or I mean, if they even think about Northwestern at all. So my, it's hard for me, as you, as you guys know, my, my view of Northwestern is not actually from the outside because I went to Northwestern and my daughter is a freshman at Northwestern. So I have sort of like the outsider's insider view of Northwestern. But to me, it remains true. And I, and I think this is potentially reflective of what other people who have no connections to Northwestern think. I still think Northwestern is overachieving like every time they're they're better than three and nine because when you just think about their place in the big 10 and in college football, I just think basically the, the totality of the Pat Fitzgerald era has been one big giant overachievement. So that doesn't excuse a one win season so far, but again, I just think the difference of like in a, in a vacuum, what Northwestern should be and what Iowa should be. Iowa should be should be so much better than Northwestern that you look at a game like last week and it's like, yeah, that was bad, but also like, I don't know, isn't that kind of what the expectation is? But instead, I know Northwestern and Iowa have played a bunch of humdingers over the years, right? They've been great games and great wins for Northwestern there. So I have a hard time with it. I don't think Northwestern really could ever get a better coach than Pat Fitzgerald. I, I don't know what it would look like. And... I don't know if that leads me to excuse things because this season has been terrible, but I also know what a Northwestern that is like a four win season is a grand success. And Northwestern has been to the big 10 title game twice in the past five years. Like I, I just still think that this, the, it's grading on a curve, man. And I still think like they're pretty far ahead of the curve, even though, Stuff kind of stinks right now. It's so much about the quarterback play, and I know the defense has been terrible. They've got to get a quarterback. Peyton Ramsey obviously was such a was such a, a revelation for them. I thought they'd be able to succeed in the portal world, and it just kind of hasn't worked with Ryan Halinski. Um, but if they get that fixed and they get a they change defensive coordinators, you know, I think they have a chance to be competitive again. I when we do like. I wind up in situations a lot where we're ranking like the 10 best coaches in college football. 
I almost always put Pat Fitzgerald in that group. I just think what he's done overall at Northwestern is a little hard for me to wrap my head around how good it's been. So we, I think not a Northwestern fan who would disagree with any of that. I think we would say the flip side, and yes, there is a COVID piece of this, but the flip side is if you're a senior at Northwestern right now, you have not sat in the student section and watched Northwestern beat a Big Ten West team the entire time. And let me tell you, there are two chances left for that class to see that happen. One's this Saturday, so that ain't happening. And then, and then Illinois. So that's and that's the trade-off, right? Because right, I mean, and that's that's where everybody is. Yeah. So I mean, thanks for right. Like you said, it's an outside inside, but surely you're surrounded by a ton of Buckeyes. That to the extent that that we pop up at all, I would imagine you hear a lot about that. Right. That Pat Fitzgerald does a lot with a little. I don't think anybody says like, oh, my God, how is Northwestern this terrible? Right. I mean, it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, come on. Right. So, I mean, the foot, the facility should make a difference. I'll be curious to see what the new stadium does, if that makes a difference. I feel like Northwestern knows who it is and they found a way to win while knowing who they are. I think that the stadium plan sort of to me reflects a, a reality of like we know who we are and what we're trying to be. And they got to get a they got to get a quarterback, man. And they can't. But also, you can't let your friend screw up the defense. And I know uh, they're miss, it's Hankwitz. What's his name? The Mike, guy who's yeah, so good? Mike Hankwitz. Uh, right. I mean, they miss him. So, but but you're Pat Fitzgerald. You're making a lot of money. You're good at this. Go find somebody good. You can get a good person to coach Northwestern defense. That's a pretty good job. You can get somebody smart and young and on the come up who wants that job. So go do it. You can't settle for your friend when your friend's not getting it done. So I do think like the idea that Jim O'Neill cannot be back next year to me is not, is not too far of a bridge like that. That to me is a line in the sand. And if you bring back your buddy, I think you're lowering the standard of Northwestern football that you as Pat Fitzgerald have spent the previous decade plus raising. Why would you willingly lower it? Because the guy's your friend. No argument here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I would say three of Pat Fitzgerald's last four coordinator hires have been, you know, kind of iffy at best. You know, even before, you know, uh, Mike Bajakian in it, uh, you know, we're not in love with Mike Bajakian's offense either. But, you know, the Mick McCall of it all, where he was there for five or six years after he should have been let go. Like, he should have been gone six years before he they finally let him go. And, and Mike Hankwitz was, you know, those are the last four hires. O'Neill, Hankwitz, McCall, and Bajakian. Three of those four have not been great. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those, like, how, you know, yes, is Pat Fitzgerald the best coach for Northwestern? Probably. But, you know, there there's, and, and, you know, I'm st- starting to see it more and more where people are like, but is it, you know? Right. And that's, that's the, that's the tricky thing, because like you said, everything, everything that you said about, and I think we're all very conscious of like the way that, right, like in Ohio State, media base looks at a program and looks at Pat Fitzgerald and right. And it's all true, but it's also all kind of a real counterweight to change. And, and again, that's why we're appreciative anytime someone stands up in the room and, and asks these questions. Would you, how, how close 
is the Northwestern fan base to, man, I don't know if, if the Pat Fitzgerald era has run its course. Are people approaching that? Yes. Really? Yeah, I think so. Again, we talked about it on the pod a couple weeks ago. There was, I think, the two-week buy where no changes were made. And then the performance coming out of the buy from an execution standpoint was really lacking. You kind of sensed that there was a little change where for the first time, a lot of people pivoted and looked directly at past the coordinators at Fitz. And then, and then the Iowa thing happened kind of on the backs of that. So yeah, people are not happy with Pat Fitzgerald to say the least, but again, that's no one has forgotten about any of the things that you mentioned and the special Titanic place he holds in Northwestern. I think everyone's just looking for change at this point and they just want to see it. Interesting. I've always assumed that he's just going to be there for 50 years and wind up with the statue and be, I don't know. I mean, not to take away from Eric Parsegian or, or Gary Barnett or some old Northwestern coach that I'm forgetting about, but, I just always thought he was going to be Northwestern's Bear Bryant and be Northwestern's Woody Hayes and just be that guy. It's like, this is the defining coach of our program. And I'm like, to me, I know I, I went in and basically said like, why didn't, why doesn't Kirk Ferentz fire his kid? And Iowa was in the big 10 championship game last year, but I wasn't saying fire Kirk Ferentz. I was saying you have too much power. You're flaunting it. You hired your kid. Your kid stinks at this. Your kid's side of the ball is dragging down the rest of your program. He should be fired. But also, Kirk Ferentz is 67. He's in his 24th year. I know Fitz has been around a long time. To me, and I think Iowa clearly is a better program from Northwestern. I do think, and I'm not calling for Kirk Ferentz to be fired, but I do think Iowa could conceivably get a better head coach tomorrow that would make Iowa a better team and a better program tomorrow. I, I don't believe that about Northwestern. And usually when you get rid of a defensive coach and you fire, hire an offensive guy. So maybe they bring in some, you know, young coordinator as a first time head coach and roll with him. But I would see this more as like a dip and change coordinators, take another spin in the, in the transfer portal at quarterback and see what happens. I would be um, very, I would feel like a quick, a quick move to me. If like something would happen, oh, oh. I'm a little surprised oh. that fans are that, are that, that no. far down the line. No, I think again, it's only because of the, of the worry and the feel that he, the fear that he won't make changes. I think that's, that's it. I mean, I think they're, to your point about the statue, everyone wants to see him just bring in some great coordinators, write the ship around some new ideas and some, you know, some fresh thinking that isn't stale. And then let's write the ship and win a bunch of games and build that statue. That's what everybody wants. I mean, like, I think like everyone always, like everyone, we're always looking at, I mean, you talk about jobs where it's like, what's the ceiling on a guy you can get? Well, Illinois hired a defensive coordinator two years ago who's blowing the roof off. And I mean, like that's so I mean, it's like that's I mean, in our state, that's what everyone's looking at. That's what everyone wants. So it's right. No, no one builds a program like Pat Fitzgerald. We want him and we want great coordinators. And right. I mean, in that and just to pull out of this tailspin that we're in and then and then right. 
Yeah, we all want to build that statue. Let's let's do that. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no excuse. I mean, that's a great point about the defensive coordinator uh, at Illinois. There's no reason Northwestern should not have a great defensive coordinator, and this and and O'Neill's not getting it done. So that is a very reasonable thing. And I will say, you know, for instance, Michigan was getting. I don't know if the fans were quite there, but certainly from the outside, Michigan a couple of years ago was like, I don't know, man. Like, is the Harbaugh thing running its course? And then he hired six or seven new assistants in the offseason. He got rid of his longtime defensive coordinator in Don Brown, who had been good, but it feels like the game had passed him by. He brought in um, a new offensive mind. Like he, he completely revamped the staff, and it was like a, a switch got flipped. And they were it changed the program immediately. And it wasn't that Harbaugh had to go, but it was that Harbaugh had to freshen it up. And I think that message got communicated to him. And it probably wasn't like media and fans. I imagine it was top down. So I think it would be fair for that message to get communicated to Pat Fitzgerald of like, no, this isn't it, man. You're the guy, but you, you, this, is, this is not the staff. And we need change now. And it, I think Michigan's a really good example of how sometimes it feels like if you change the whole staff, it's just tread water until you actually fire the head coach. But sometimes the head coach needs to be reminded he needs better people around him, and then you get real change. So I think Northwestern has a chance to get real change while Pat Fitzgerald is there, but it's fair to remind him of the fact that he can't just stick with guys who aren't getting it done. All right, I'll go remind him. No, <laughs> you guys, no, I will. One of us, it's either you or me. You guys got to get the pass. You're the pirates, right? Go get a yeah. pass. <laughs> or I have to go. We'll figure it out. We'll go together. It's in the media room after the game Saturday. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good to us. I uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, real quick, you know, if, if you are going to be at the game, where can people, Northwestern fans, see these great questions coming after the game that uh, and uh, and we're all looking for? Yeah, that, that may or may not come. I have sure, to see where of I course, go. of course. Uh, Cleveland, Cleveland.com slash OSU. That's where all of our Ohio State coverage is. And again, I understand maybe Northwestern fans don't care that much about Ohio State. The College Football Survivor Show, I host it twice a week. One's a bonus episode for subscribers, but one is a free episode every Wednesday for everybody. Anywhere you can find podcasts. I have a great co-host named Shahan J. Haraja, and we talk about the playoff. The first rankings are coming out Tuesday night, so that'll be really interesting. So we talk about the playoff year-round, and I would certainly direct anybody there. Well, again, thank, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to catch up with you down the road. All right. Sounds good, guys. Uh, once again, uh, thank you, Doug, so much for joining us. I uh, really, really appreciate that. Um, really, really good stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else we can, we, we can say. It's just, it's, just so, it's just so funny to, to hear his perspective, hear the outside perspective. But, I mean, just someone like Doug LeMaurice who is working – in that Buckeye inferno that it must be for the media. And then hearing his perspective on like, uh, you know, a Northwestern, like I, I can see, like if, if he walks into the media room after the game on Saturday, he's going to be looking around being like, where, where is everybody? Like, what is <laughs> like, I, it's, it's just so interesting to, to hear that perspective. But I mean, it was, it was so interesting. And, and I think again, for it's that, it's that perspective. I think Northwestern fans, are aware, but always benefit from hearing just that, that outside perspective. And like Doug said, 
it's an outside inside perspective for him because he's an NU alum and he has a daughter at NU and that he's, he's not a complete outsider, but he still has that perspective of spending every day in that Buckeye volcano and being able to apply what he sees there to, to what's going on here. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. Oh, let, let's quickly run uh, throughout the rest of the Big Ten. Um, you know, obviously the the whole sickos, you know, Northwestern can win the West at four and eight, I think is out the window because Nebraska could not beat Illinois um, like we all figured that they wouldn't. So, you know, that that that's out the window. So let's just kind of quickly run through the rest of the conference um, Minnesota is at Nebraska, also at 11. Uh, this one's on ESPN2. Minnesota's a 15-point favorite. Uh, Tanner Morgan came back, right? Yep, he was back. And again, I think we said, look, if he's back, they're plowing records. That's exactly what happened. And again, it's like, is Minnesota perfect? No, they're not. When they play an unbelievable defense, does that short-circuit them? When they're missing Mo Ibrahim, does that short-circuit them? When they're missing Tanner Morgan, does that short-circuit them? Will any of those things be the case this weekend? No, they will not. Uh, and I think you're going to see Minnesota uh, put it on Nebraska. Uh, also at 11 o'clock on uh, Fox Sports 1, you got Iowa at Purdue. Purdue a four-and-a-half-point favorite. It'll be interesting to see Purdue's offense uh, going, up, going up against that Iowa defense. Absolutely. I think, you know, in hindsight, <clears throat> we can look at that Illinois-Iowa um, game and how much of just like a dumpster fire that was. And in hindsight, be like, and we know now Illinois is great. But if you let that Iowa D totally pull you down into the mud, you can get a gross game like that. So I don't know. I think... Purdue's offense is is better than that but there again it's like Illinois almost I think we kind of feel right like it's sort of Illinois and Purdue right now and Illinois fell into that trap I don't think Purdue will I think they'll have enough to get it done against that defense and and again I think we've said look Purdue's defense nothing to shake a stick at more than able to totally handle what Iowa has uh, Maryland is at Wisconsin uh, also at 11 a.m. on Big Ten Network Wisconsin is a five and a half point favorite and I think we're still looking at probably Billy Edwards there, right? Um, I think Wisconsin's righted the, the ship a little bit, but um, I don't know. I think, I don't know. This one could be kind of close. I, I think if Maryland doesn't have it and that running game can, I mean, if, if Billy Edwards clicks and that running game can click, then Wisconsin could have trouble. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to color I don't want to color what happened in our game as like, well, that's what Maryland's going to do to everyone going forward because it just doesn't work that way. And But Wisconsin did beat Purdue last week. So I don't know. I think Wisconsin maybe has, has gotten a little bit something. I mean, to come out of that Michigan State game and, and, you know, lest we forget, they'd have three wins in a row right now if it wasn't for that OT loss to MSU. So 
you know, I think if if there's no Talia in this game, I think the Badgers probably have it. Uh, 2.30 on Big Ten Network, uh, the aforementioned Michigan State Spartans head down to Champaign uh, to take on Illinois. Uh, Illinois is a 16.5 point favorite. I I mean, this is not the top of mind for Michigan State right now. I mean, we I don't want to go into just the awfulness that happened at the end of the the Michigan Michigan State game because that that was just horrendous to see. But uh, you know, I'm I'm sure this game you know they're going to try to keep this top of mind. But you know, th- there's there's some distractions going on in that Spartan locker room. Yeah, I you know normally. I think I would say I'd be of the mind that this is a legit trap game for Illinois because they have Purdue next week, and that game very well may decide the West or the the week after. <clears throat> so this would be like a, a big trap game, but could Michigan State be any more of a disaster right now than they are? I mean, that, that Wisconsin win, if you take that, frankly, miraculous Wisconsin win out, they're six that'd be six straight losses and up to four players maybe about to get arrested so i mean like what i mean i i feel like normally whatever you would say about a trap game for illinois goes right out the window because michigan state is all the way down the well right now things are a disaster there uh 230 on abc penn state at indiana uh penn state a 14 point favorite yeah i feel like penn state gets the the revenge that they're looking for it was close you know, relatively close, but no cigar for them. And I think Indiana is going to pay for that. And then uh, under the lights on Big Ten Network, Michigan at Rutgers, uh, Michigan, a 26 and a half point favorite. Yeah, pretty Uh, much. I think so. I, I would guess the only reason that line's not bigger is Michigan. I last season absolutely fell asleep against Rutgers. And that game was really close late. And that was Rutgers' best game of the season, was their loss to Michigan, mainly because Michigan was just sleepwalking through the game. It was bizarre. You can go back and watch it and be like, what is Michigan doing? This Michigan team seems way better than that team and in a way better place, and they will probably throttle Rutgers. Nationally, obviously, all eyes are going to be on Athens, Georgia, as uh, Georgia takes on Tennessee, um, a game that, you know, Probably determines who's number one in the college football you know, rankings. Uh, definitely determines who goes to Atlanta for the SEC championship. Um, and but the thing is, I don't think the loser is out of it. Well, yeah, there's so there's there are those two things. The other thing too, I think that's almost just as big. And to your point about like the loser might still be in it. Hen and Hooker, this Heisman thing, he's the guy right now, and. If they either beat Georgia, in which case he's he's winning like that, that's probably like it would things would have to go so sideways for it not to happen. But even if they lose, but he is really valiant and really good in defeat, I think it's he has just been so good and such a thing. And, and you know, we sort of touched on a little bit with Doug, but um, CJ Stroud, I mean, he, he is he's a he's an accurate quarterback. He's a smart quarterback, but. I think just the wealth of riches that are there. And then when you juxtapose that with Hendon Hooker, which again, it's a great team, but without, there's no doubt you take that guy out and they are not where they are right now. So um, I think that's, that's the, but I mean, right. This absolutely dwarfs everything else going on this week. It is 
2.30 p.m., Tennessee, Georgia, that's what everyone's watching. So, um, do want to get everyone caught up on some of the goings-on uh, in the Northwestern Athletic Department. Uh, some really, really great stuff happening in uh, the non-revenue sports. Um, you know, basketball, men's and women's basketball are going to be starting real soon. But, uh, you know, we're in the playoffs for soccer, for volleyball is, you know, coming down the stretch, having an amazing little run. Um, John, take it, take us through like what's been going on here. It's definitely worth noticing. Yeah. The it's, it's really impressive. And again, it's like, I mean, we don't have scuzz tonight. Scuzz has been doing such a good job staying on this. We've talked about multiple times that it's, it's, it's tricky sometimes because I mean, I think we're all aware football just sucks up the oxygen in the room in the fall. And that's just the, the way that it is. And that's tough because Northwestern, has so many fall sports that are just phenomenal. We all know about our <clears throat> defending national champion field hockey team who are starting the postseason for them officially starts on Thursday. Um, they finished a phenomenal season um, on Sunday. So they're on their way now. I mean, again, these are your defending national champions. They're going to the, they're, you know, they're going deep into the big 10 tournament if they're not going to win it all. And then they're going deep into the national tournament. But Women's soccer has been the revelation, you know, of this season. I think everyone expected to be talking about field hockey. Women's soccer has been so good. Um, and they are on this awesome run in the Big Ten tournament right now. An awesome season has turned into a great run. I mean, they got their opening win against Rutgers. And they are going to be playing on Thursday. This is your headliner, right? You have women's field hockey starting tournament play, but you have the Big Ten semifinals on thursday 4 30 p.m on thursday they play a penn state team that beat wisconsin one nothing in their first round match so again it's northwestern versus penn state with the winner playing either nebraska or michigan state for the big 10 title and then after that probably the ncaa's for this women's team that has had a phenomenal season so that is your big time headliner um and then beyond that on Friday, you have a couple things. I mean, volleyball, not near tournament play, but, I mean, get ready for that because it's coming. This volleyball team is special. Um, they are going to places that no Northwestern volleyball team has ever gone. I think they have, what, three ranked wins this year. Um, they are riding a four-game win streak right now, and they play this Friday. Huge win over Purdue this week. Number 12 ranked Purdue. Huge win. Right. So they play Friday and then men's soccer, which again, not operating at the, you know, the level these other teams are, but they did get a massive win uh, on Sunday that allowed that got them in to the Big Ten tournament. So they'll be playing on Friday as well to start tournament play. So there's a lot going on. And we know it's like the football malaise gobbles everything up. But there is a lot of great fall action going on right now. And uh, definitely check in everything on Thursday, but especially that 430 matchup uh, with women's soccer versus Penn State, because that's a big one. Uh, before we go, John, I have one question to ask you. Sure. How was the Brian Harson experience for you? <laughs> it was, it was, I don't know. Let me check in. Cause I think ESPN, I think the ESPN announcers are still, are still have him on. So let's, let's see what, it, what he has to say right now. Um, no, the, yes, it is over. It did. The Brian Harson experience lasted seemingly less than they talked about him 
during the Citrus Bowl. Um, yes, the obviously to the you know a, a, a Northwestern fan base that is certainly not not about to give anyone the benefit of the doubt, especially where we are right now. Certainly, you know, where there was there was some snickering and and look, we're we're not above it. Okay. We've, we've not been above it ever since the announcers robbed us of like practically an entire quarter of a game we were dominating to talk about Brian Harson. But yes, that, that experiment has come and gone. <laughs> yeah, it was. And Auburn, you know, I, we'll, we'll see where they go. But uh, that was one that, again, we talked about it. Like, honestly, the surprise isn't that it didn't last two seasons. The surprise is that it didn't end a month ago. I mean, frankly, that, that miracle against Missouri was all that preserved his job for as long as it as it lasted yeah but i mean if if you if you're calling a guy's job status whether he wins or loses one game you've already made the decision that you're letting him go exactly it's just a matter of when i mean like when there's if you don't beat missouri we're firing you yeah that just means you're gonna fire me later doesn't matter if we win or not here today so I, I don't really buy into that very much. But uh, in any case, um, that'll just about do it for us here tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazba, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.